This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a podcast number two of the Mike Missanelli Podcast, uh, courtesy of Bet Rivers. And uh, all I can say today is, wow. Uh, it's about 12 hours after uh, the Eagles demolished the Minnesota Vikings and 12 hours after I did a postgame show where we went way into the morning and uh, it was uh, it was quite a, an evening at Lincoln Financial Field. I, I didn't think that the Eagles would really do that to the Vikings last night. In fact, I thought that last night would be a loss, but they proved me wrong. And that was really a sensational effort on Monday Night Football. And and what it does is it puts the Eagles on the map. The Eagles are now on the map as one of the premier playoff teams, I think, because you know when you look at it in a, in a certain way. The Dallas Cowboys without that Dak Prescott, and I know they won last week, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. I think it's just the temporary respite for the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Eagles are clearly right now the best team in the division, and um, they win the division, and I'm thinking they can win it with uh, with 11 wins, at least 11 wins from what I saw last night, and I know there's a lot of season to go, uh, but if you're winning your division, you get a favorable seed, you get a home matchup in the first round. Now, uh, are they as good right now as uh, some of the premier teams that we see in the NFC? Are they as good as the Rams? Are they as good as Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Are they as good as the Green Bay Packers or wherever else emerges? You know, I, I can't say that right now. But what I can say is they're the best team in division. And as long as they're that, uh, they're going to get a pretty good seed uh, in the playoffs. So playoffs are far ahead. So let's let's take it one at a time here. For the very first time last night, and I'm not a guy that gives it up. Very easily. And, and I've been on the fence about Jalen Hurts for, for a while now. And uh, I came into this year saying that he still has to show me. Well, he showed me more than he's ever shown me last night. Uh, and for the very first time, I'm convinced that he could be a franchise quarterback. You know, there, there were uh, last week he beat the Lions and he beat them with his legs. But he beat the Minnesota Vikings last night with his arm. And so now you have two sample sizes on, on what he can do as a quarterback and, and last night was his best game as a professional quarterback. I don't think there's any question about that. He was accurate. He was decisive. 
Now, now the the Vikings help them a little bit. They first of all, let, let's let's go over the game. Um, the Vikings' defensive plan against Jalen Hurts had to be shaped by what they saw last week, the way the Lions blitzed them and he shredded their blitz by getting out of the pocket. I don't think the Vikings wanted that to happen last night. I think they were determined not to have that happen, so they played soft. They had their linebackers kind of soft to uh, to kind of counter when he would break out of the pocket. They play that that soft, too deep shell, and uh, and the Eagles had a tremendous game plan against it. And the Vikings never really adjusted. You know, against his own defense, there's going to be quick patterns that are open. And, and the only thing the quarterback has to do is deliver the football accurately. And there was always a question whether Jalen Hurts could do that consistently. And last night he did. Uh, ten for his first ten. And, and he, he was just accurate. He, he knew exactly where he wanted to go with the ball. Uh, so let's go back to the start of the game. It's a very weird dynamic in the NFL where the team that wins the toss always defers. I'm not so sure that's wise, but everybody does it. I think it's like 80% or, or even higher, the teams defer. And, and I guess they feel it's more important to get the kickoff in the second half. Uh, maybe you close down the first half uh, with, a, with a, a scoring uh, drive, and then you get the ball in the second half, and that's how you really cripple a team. But last night, they gave the Eagles the ball in their home stadium with a crowd – jacked up and uh i, I don't know uh, that that was the the right move they also decided if you noticed last night if you're watching the eagles last night the game the vikings kicked the ball high and short now th- they don't have an experienced return man back there so quez watkins is the return man he he does not look very sure of himself right now as a return man so their decision was to kick it high kick it short get down quick enough and get the eagles to start their drive below the 20 yard line not a bad strategy to kick it off considering what the Eagles have returning kickoffs. So, so here we go. Um, first play of the game. Now, last week, A.J. Brown, great. But Devontae Smith, kind of invisible. They made it a point to get Devontae Smith involved early. The first play is a short pass to Devontae Smith, a quick pass. I thought it was a brilliant design. That was a brilliant idea to get him involved right out of the shoot. The second pass is to Goddard, also brilliant. Okay, let's see how these linebackers, these so-called quick linebackers that you have, can cover the tight end. Let's see it. Uh, they didn't uh, cover them. And, and so they're off and running. Uh, and then uh, Miles Sanders gets 12 yards on a first down. Now, now in this drive, it was very strange because they had a couple of down, men downfield penalties, which, which should never really happen. But you're talking about – a team that runs an RPO. So in an RPO, an offensive lineman is kind of confused as to how quickly he has to get out, whether the quarterback uh, uh, still has the football, whether he's going to give it to the running back, whatever it is, it's confusing. But uh, the Eagles are going to have to clean that up. But they overcame that. And um, Jalen converted three, two third downs on that drive, a third and 13 after a lineman downfield penalty hits A.J. Brown for first down, and all of a sudden they're at midfield. So, so here we go. Now, the, 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 comfort, the crowd's into it. They're, they're comfortable moving the ball down the field the way they're moving the ball down the field against the soft zone. He's accurate. And then they come up with third and three. They get, to, they get down in, in Vikings territory. Third and three, Zach Pascal's in the game. They line him up in the backfield. It's a brilliant design because that's what that guy can do. He slides out of the backfield. They hit him. He converts. And then uh, Hurts takes it in. 
uh, for a seven nothing lead. Three minutes in the game, so the choice to defer to the kick did not work for the Vikings. The Eagles are up seven nothing, and that's huge in front of a home crowd. Uh, and so, so here we go. Uh, then you get the the TD bomb to Quez Watkins on a great play design where they send Goddard out and they, and they, they shoot him out to the left on, on a semi-deep tight end pattern, confuses the cornerback. The cornerback lets him go to the safety. The safety now has to come over, misses Quez Watkins, who runs right by him, and that's easy pickings for a touchdown. Uh, and so uh, the Eagles really uh, established uh, an early dominance in this game. Now, um, the Vikings at 14 nothing come back with a drive. And the uh, Jonathan Gannon hates starts. Uh, the fan base loves to hate Jonathan Gannon because of his lack of aggression as a defensive coordinator. Last night, that lack of aggression showed early, but I thought he called a great game. Uh, and he did start to blitz in the second half. The defense took over the game in the second half. Uh, but uh, the Eagles now... They have, they have to punt after that uh, uh, that nice drive by the Vikings and makes it 14-7. But they get a three and out with the Vikings, which was key because now the Vikings have little momentum. Eagles have to punt to them. Vikings give it back on a three and out, and this is where the Eagles crush them. To me, this was the drive of the game. Seven plays, 85 yards, makes it 21-7. Devontae catches two straight passes in that drive, 19 and 18, and, and they get to the 50. Then they run, run, run. They get Boston Scott in there for their big run of 16 yards. They run it again with Scott. He gets clipped minus one, but they come right back with the run with Miles Sanders, and that leads to Jalen Hurts in the 26-yard run for the touchdown. That we're, we're, you know, Listen, I don't know how many other quarterbacks can make that kind of play. Lamar Jackson can make it. But uh, Jalen Hurts makes it with strength. And later that would, uh, like when, when he bulls his way in uh, a little later, you saw that strength in, uh, of course, the Monday Night Football crew. Then uh, it goes back to the video of, of him uh, powerlifting and squatting 600 pounds when he was a, a college lad. He is strong. And, again, we're talking about a combination of skills here. And the only thing that was lacking was his consistency and his confidence and his ability to deliver it accurately, consistently. And he did that last night. And, and that won me over. i got to be honest. Like, I'm watching the game, and I'm going, okay. You know, for the first time, this guy's got me on the other side where I go, they're okay at that position. Now, hopefully uh, that stays. All right, now here's, here's the converse of last night's game. The Vikings stink out loud. Now, I expected a lot more from the Vikings, and uh, they had four chances to get back in that game last night. First of all, let, let's talk about uh, Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins. He's now 2-10 and 10 on Monday Night Football. Now, I, that may be a coincidence, but it also may be that this guy doesn't have it when the lights are the brightest. Monday Night Football, big audience, night game, enemy crowd, 2-10 and 10 to me speaks to that, that he's not worthy of that moment. But I digress. Let's go back to what the Vikings ha- could have done to get back into this game. Four chances to get back in the game. The first one, the bomb to Irv Smith Jr., where he gets behind the secondary. If he catches the ball, it's probably a touchdown. He drops it. That's number one. Number two, Cousins is driving, 
they they get the interception in the end zone uh, where he's targeting Justin Jefferson, who appeared not to continue on the play, cutting across the end zone, stopped his route. And uh, after the play, Aikman said that that was on the quarterback, uh, excuse me, on, on uh, Justin Jefferson and not the quarterback. In any event, they squander a chance there to get points on the board. Then the third is the blocked field goal. They block a field goal. The only thing they could get the Vikings back in the game is a play like that. Uh, a magic special teams play. They block the field goal. They get the recovery. Uh, Chris Boyd gets run down by the punter, Aaron Sipos, who's the holder on the play. And my eyes almost popped out of my head. I don't think I've ever seen that. Now, I don't know if that's because Sipos is fast or, or Boyd's not fast. But when they caught him from behind, I'm thinking, you know, the Vikings have already squandered two positions here to get back in the game. I don't think they're going to score here either. And, and they didn't score because Cousins gets intercepted by Maddox. And then, of course, the fourth uh, opportunity they have is the screen pass, which Gainwell does not catch. They they get the interception. They rumble it down, and, and Slay intercepts him. That's, that's four times. That's four possible touchdowns that the Vikings squandered to get back into this game. Um, all right, so let's look now at the second half because it's 24 to 7 as we go into halftime. The 21st point, the touchdown was key, but they also squeezed in a field goal before that half, which I think is a little underplayed. They've got the ball deep in Vikings territory, and I'm thinking Andy Reid. Andy Reid is the coach of the Eagles, goes 21 7, let's go into halftime. Let's not do anything stupid here. And I think the Eagles were kind of planning on doing that um, because they, after play one, Hertz was not in any kind of a hurry, and and the Vikings, thinking they could get the ball back, called timeout. Well, that gave the Eagles an extra opportunity to get the ball down the field all of a sudden. So now they're thinking, okay, we, we got a free timeout here. Let's see what we can do. They get the ball down the field good enough to get the, uh, the field goal that puts them up 24-7. And there's no more scoring for the rest of the game, which is fine, because you saw how the Vikings played last night. Um, 24-7, you look at it two ways. All right, they didn't score in the second half. That's bad. But the defense didn't allow them to score in the second half. And Jonathan Gannon put some blitzes on them in that second half. The defense feeling real good about themselves, blitzed them 10 times in that game, Gannon. The guy that never blitzes blitzed them 10 times last night. And uh, it, it, two for 10 was Cousins when they did blitz. So uh, I'm going to give Gannon a game ball, half a game ball. I'm going to give Jalen Hurts a game and a half game ball. So he gets a game and a half football uh, for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and last night, and, and they win the game. And, and just just a great effort. Everybody was there at the game last night, and there were a lot of celebrities in the house last night. James Harden gets a, ga- gets a ball from Slay after an interception. Uh, Bradley Cooper showed up last night. A uh, couple of other celebs were in the house last night. Quinta Brunson who just won an Emmy, was in the house last night. So the Eagles now becoming fashionable. And again, the, the, the football nation took notice last night. If you're listening uh, to uh, or reading anything about uh, football today, you're reading about the Eagles and, and how they look like a division winner. And, and again, we're looking at uh, our, our, right now, if you're going to the playoffs, can you say they're as good as the Rams? Probably not. Can you say they're as good as Tampa Bay? Maybe not. Uh, Green Bay, who's now on the comeback, maybe not. But right now, they look good for a division win. And, and that's all, the, you know, you got to take it a little at a time. A division win gives them a slot. 
And uh, that's a comfortable position to be. All right, let's look at next week. Next week's game, the Washington Commanders. Is it a trap game? I originally thought it would be a trap game. When you come off a big Monday night game like this, and you start, uh, as my good old pal John Cheney used to say, you start smelling yourself and kissing yourself on how great you are, there's a natural letdown. Even for pro players, there's that natural letdown. This is a Monday night football game in front of a national audience. They were very impressive. They're thinking very highly of themselves now. Now they have to go in a short week and go into Washington. They're much better than the commanders. And then there's a subplot. The subplot is the Carson Wentz subplot. And uh, you know he would love to impress and beat the Eagles. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. But the Eagles have to come out with the same energy. And I originally thought that the line would reflect that that it would be a trap game. Well, I'm looking at the line today in Vegas, and it may come down by game time. The Eagles are a seven-point favorite on the road in Washington against the Commanders. So I'm feeling pretty comfortable about that. Originally, I thought, well, you know what? This is one of those division games. They've lost division games where the the team, the inferior team, beats them, and they they split a series. It's always you look down – and you go, okay, they're going to split with Washington, even though they're better. They're going to split with the Giants, even though they're better. It kind of happens in divisional play. Uh, but uh, if they come out with the same energy, they're the superior team. They're feeling confident. Jalen Hurts, if he doesn't regress, uh, I, I look for the Eagles to start 3-0. And by the way, last night made them 2-0. And the first uh, that's the first time that they've started a season 2-0, believe it or not, since 2016. And the quarterback then was a rookie named Carson Wentz. So interesting little dynamic as uh, they go into this game trying to be 3-0 and and trying to to beat Carson Wentz. One other uh, caveat, because uh, one of the things that Eagle fans, if this game was home, I would be interested to see if they they would be booing Carson Wentz. And undoubtedly they would be. But I've kind of felt sorry for uh, Jalen Rager last night. Uh, Not because I, I admire him as a player, but but I, I'm going, like, he's gone. You know, he was a failure. What's the sense of booing him? Like, what did he do to you to get booed? The only thing he did to you was go lower than your expectations. And who set that up? Well, the team that drafted him in that position. So I thought he got a little harsh every time Rager was on the field. Uh, when, he, when he went out the field punts and you heard the boos when, when they, 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 he did have a 19-yard run, I think, and, and, and they booed him there. Every time he's on the field, Eagle fans booed him. And it's one of the things I, I, I like and I, I, I loathe about Eagle fans is that they're relentless. And I go, is he worthy of a boo? But he's gone now. Uh, it didn't work out. Uh, they they, they kind of cashed in a little bit. They salvaged the value of it. They didn't take Justin Jefferson. We, we all know that. But Justin Jefferson was not a factor last night. And uh, Darius Slay has to be given credit for that. Uh, you know, Gannon looked at his his guys and said, "Okay, I, I don't have to employ any any special attention, to Justin Jefferson. I'm going to first believe that Slay can take him, and he did. And, and Justin Jefferson had a really hard time last night uh, getting his. I think he had like six catches or whatever. Uh, but, but Slay was excellent last night, and uh, and Jonathan Gannon I thought had a, a pretty good idea what he was doing in the second half uh, once once he saw that that Slay could really check him." All right, uh, so uh, we'll talk more about the Eagles on uh, Thursday's podcast as we do uh, two podcasts a week here 
uh, Bet Rivers podcast, the Mike Missinelli podcast. So uh, after a, a weekend of football, I like to do a thing called Around the NFL, where uh, there are five things that that stick out to me in the NFL uh, when I looked around. And, of course, the comebacks are going to be prominently mentioned. But let, let's start uh, for last night. If, if you were watching the game, uh, I, I know people that were watching the Eagles game weren't really tuned in to the Bills game, but you got at least to see the, the first part of that Bills game. And uh, the Buffalo Bills are scary. And, uh, you know, I picked them to be my, my Super Bowl choice early in the season, and, and they've done nothing to, to sway me from that position. They're a scary team, and I believe they are Super Bowl bound. I believe that they are going to be the AFC champion. Uh, and uh, here's the thing, uh, Josh Allen. Is it too early to say that Josh Allen's the best quarterback in the league? I mean, you can make that case that Josh Allen right now is arguably the best uh, quarterback in the league. Uh, he throws it like a rocket. He's got mobility. He's big. And uh, I'm impressed. Uh, that, that dude, you know, the Bills knew what they were doing when they drafted that guy. And uh, he's a stud. And the Bills are a really good team. So, um, you know, the, the perils of living in Buffalo in the wintertime are kind of now mitigated by the fact that they may have a Super Bowl team. Is it the trade-off? Would you take cold weather every day, zero-degree weather and snow to have your team in the Super Bowl? I guess most people would make that deal. So congratulations to the Buffalo Bills fans. you got something special out there. All right, let's talk about the comebacks in the NFL on Sunday. And let's first start with the Jets game. The Jets have no business coming back to win that game. First of all, they've always stunk. Where did they ever have a clutch G? And so the Browns have to be totally embarrassed by what happened in that game. Let's just kind of recap it. First of all, let's look at the Nick Chubb play. Nick Chubb scores a rushing touchdown late in the game to make it uh, 30-17. to Now, the ESPN stat, when you're up 30-17, to with 155 left in the game, that team who's up 30 to 17 is a 99.9% chance of winning the game. Now think about that. 99.9% chance of winning the game. And somehow the Browns lose it. And here's how they lost it. Chubb scores. Now, the question is, should he have not scored? A couple of years ago, he was smart enough to realize that if he didn't go into the end zone, the other team couldn't get the ball back and they had no timeouts left. So if he went down... The game's basically over because all you do is take a knee and you get out of there. That's that's the guaranteed way to win. Now, I'm putting myself in the mind of Nick Chubb, and he's going, if I score here, has my stats, but it also makes it 30-17. That's an insurmountable lead. If I make it 30-17, there's no way my team can lose anyway. And I don't know if he knew the 99% stat, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is he scores thinking that's not going to hurt at all. The other way is when you go down, I guess you guarantee the victory. But in that position, he's thinking, eh, I can score here. It's not going to be a big deal because we're up 30 to 17. They're not going to win the game. So uh, what happens to the Jets' next possession? Somehow, the Browns' secondary allows Corey Davis to get behind him. Now, when you have a minimal amount of time, you need a quick strike play. And they hand the Jets a quick strike play. Bomb to Corey Davis, takes out... 33 seconds, that drive took up 33 seconds of the remaining time left. So now the Jets have a fighting chance. It's now 30 
to 24. Here comes the dreaded onside kick. Now, how many people really recover an onside kick? If you looked at the play, it was like the Browns didn't know what to do. They allowed the ball. The Jets recover the onside kick. So here we go again. And we got Joe Flacco. The ancient Joe Flacco has to take him down the field. And with one minute left, they somehow squeeze in 10 plays. And Flacco hits Garrett Wilson in the end zone. And because of the missed PAT, that means the Jets' PAT wins the game. Now, that is an all-time loss if I ever saw one. And, uh, and the Browns are just, I mean, that's, it, 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 they're having a hard time right now, okay? They, they've got a quarterback who's on the shelf, and uh, they're trying to win with Jacoby Brissett, and they, they thought they were going to have, they put all these resources in, and then Deshaun Watson was going to lead them to the promised land, and all that stuff backfired. That is an ultimate loss. That is an all-time franchise loss that Brown fans are going to feel for a really long time. All right, next one. Let's go to the Dolphins. They scored 28 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I mean, that, it's ridiculous. Uh, the Ravens are a good, solid team. The Ravens have always been a good, solid defensive team. They're up big numbers. 35-14 to 14 after Lamar Jackson runs 79 yards for a touchdown. 35-14, to 14, and they give up 28 fourth quarter points. And they let Tua throw six t- t- touchdown passes against them. And, and the Dolphins come back to win it 42-38. to 38. You know, sometimes you look at this league and you marvel at how teams can quick strike and score on offense, but the defense has to participate in that. And that's just lame brain defense that we've seen in now in, in both of these games, the Browns game and now by the Ravens, who really should be better than that. I mean, the Ravens are a pedigree team. They should never allow that to happen, but the Dolphins come back to win. And then, of course, there's the Cardinals with Kyler Murray coming back to win. So three games that just uh, blew my mind uh, over the weekend. Um uh, in comebacks, Jets, Dolphins, and the Cardinals. All right. Uh, the third uh, element of around the NFL today, the Cowboys. There are a lot of weasel Cowboy fans out there. And if you listen to my show over the years, you know I loathe the Cowboy fans. Not the ones that have a pedigree. If you're somehow connected to Dallas, to Texas, whatever, if you lived in the South, whatever it is, then if you're up, if you now live up here, Rooting for the Cowboys is perfectly fine. But there is a total violation in the Mike Missinelli rules of fandom that when you're a Dallas Cowboy fan and you live in Philadelphia, you're a stone weasel. And here's why. Because I always ask people, why are you a Cowboy fan? Well, uh, here's the reason I'm wrong. Well, you know, I was growing up. Uh, the, the Eagles stunk. and I, I, I wanted to root for a team that was good. <clears throat> that doesn't work. Uh, my grandfather was a Cowboy fan, and uh, just to be close to my grandfather, uh, I had to become a Cowboy fan. <clears throat> that doesn't work. And here's the ultimate one, and I hear this a lot. Well, when I was a kid, my mom bought me Dallas Cowboy footy pajamas, and, um, you know, I've liked them ever since. <clears throat> that doesn't work. Or uh, well, my mom bought me a Dallas Cowboy quilt for the top of my bed, and I like the star. You people are weasels who live in Philadelphia root for the Cowboys. So it's your lucky day because I'm about to trash the Cowboys. I know you're all excited. You went from low to high because Cooper Rush comes in in place of Dak Prescott and they win. And now you're hearing, oh, they're they're better off with Cooper Rush. Come on. They're better off with Cooper Rush. This is a classic thing I call the backup goaltender theory. If you're a fan of the NHL, 
and the starting goalie is injured or whatever, and they have to throw the backup in, who's obviously not as good as a starter. So the team knows that. You throw the backup goalie in, the team says, okay, now we have to really protect this guy. We have to play harder for this guy than we would for the other guy. The other guy we can rely on to bail us out. This guy. So they all band together. And it's the same effect in football. Here comes kind of an unknown backup quarterback coming in for Dak Prescott. You got to step it up a little bit. You got to pay a little more attention. You got you to uh, uh, really get on the same page. You, you can't commit penalties. You can't be sloppy. You got to be a little more directed when you're playing for Cooper Rush. That lasts one game. Right, because here's the other thing that comes in. God, oh, we're not facing Dak. This will be easy today. Subconsciously, pro players will do that, and so you got the combination of a letdown on the opponent side, and Dallas Cowboys having to rally around the backup goalie. That's that's how it results in a Dallas win. But, but make no mistake, Dallas Cowboys are no juggernaut. With, if they have to play Cooper Rush for, for the rest of this year, or at least for the first six games until Dak Prescott comes back. That gives the Eagles a monster advantage. So all you Cowboy Weasels out there, don't get too excited. I'm going to tell you right now, do not get too excited. The backup goaltender theory is going to trip you up. And you can go back and to your little Dallas Cowboy cave, rooting for the Cowboys in the throes of Eagle country. All right, number four, the Colts. Frank Reich's going to get fired. Whatever magic he had down there is gone. You know, they thought the Colts were going to be a, uh, at least I did, an up-and-coming team this year because they finally had stability at quarterback with Matt Ryan. Not a, not a great player at this stage of his life, but competent enough to, to really shepherd uh, a good team into, into the playoffs without making mistakes. Well, instead, they're, they're 0-2, and they, they lose 24 nothing to the Jaguars. You've got to be kidding me. You can't, you can't lose 24 nothing to the Jaguars. And for some reason, the Colts have problems with the Jaguars. I don't know what it is. I can't explain that phenomenon. All I know is that your team has to be better prepared than to lose 24 nothing to the Jaguars where Matt Ryan can't get a point on the board for your offense. That's a team in turmoil right now. So, Frank, uh, I, I know a lot of people thought you were the brains uh, of the Eagles and their offense as you went to the Super Bowl, but uh, – you're about to get fired because uh, Robert Ursay is, is not going to be happy. And uh, he'll clip you at, at a moment. Uh, okay. So uh, now uh, let's go to Tom Brady and the uh, Bucks and the Saints. We'll talk about the brawl, but let's talk about Brady because it's going to lead into a bigger subject today uh, with, uh, with Tom Brady, who uh, is in the news all the time now because of his domestic situation. All, day. all right. So let's, let's look at Sunday where uh, let's talk about the fight first. It's a slog game. Nobody's doing anything. Saints in the box. It's 3-3. And uh, all of a sudden, Marshawn Lattimore, who, uh, now I'm going to preface this by saying I'm a proud Penn Stater, and I hate everything that's associated with Ohio State University. So Marshawn Lattimore, that Ohio State punk, causing trouble again with Mike Evans. They, They have a history. So uh, it, it escalates into a point where Marshawn, as he gets, to, as the Saints get Tampa Bay off the field on a third down in completion, goes over and starts taunting Brady. Uh, if I'm a teammate of Tom Brady's, uh, he's a god. All right, he, he's the, he's the league god. So any teammate that doesn't stick up for him comes off as weak. You have to stick up for Tom Brady if somebody's trying to abuse him. So sure enough, 
they, they stick up for him. And uh, uh, Leonard Fournette gets involved and you get and Leonard Fournette, you know, shoves Marshall Lattimore in the face. And then here, and I, if I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, I see that. And I'm Mike Evans and I dislike this guy in the first place. I'm doing the same thing. I'm coming off the, of the sidelines. I'm going to smash him, which is exactly what happened. And it was a great hit by Mike Evans. And I laud it because that's sticking up for your team. Now, in the end, he got a one-game suspension, which he is appealing. But I'll take that one-game suspension. You know, he, he's sticking up for his team. That guy had to cut, cut trouble with my quarterback. He's my lifeblood, Brady. And, uh, and this is what happens. Um, so that energizes Tampa Bay to win the game. But during the game, Brady is not happy. Now, we've seen this before. When he was a Patriot, he would occasionally get in teammates' faces. Um, but there's a different dynamic here on what Tom Brady's mindset is. And uh, I'm going to go gossipy for a little bit. So on the sidelines, you saw he threw his helmet first, and then he destroyed uh, one of those pads, and uh, which he's done before. Uh, <laughs> but, but he really, he smashed, he threw this with his right hand. The last time he threw that iPad was with his left hand. Uh, but he really drilled this one. And uh, so he's, he's on edge. And I asked myself the question, is he on edge and is it being exacerbated by his domestic situation? Um, we all know, you know, we read the gossips. Everybody's writing about it. Giselle is not happy. And she's not happy because he reneged on a promise. He told her he was going to retire. He sat around the house for about three days. And he said, um, no, uh, I'm not going to retire and I want to go back. Now, obviously, he was not ready for domestic life. So uh, is that weighing on him? Let, let's let's go. Giselle leaves the compound and leaves the Tampa ha- house. And she goes to Fashion Week in New York City. And, uh, and she's clearly not happy and she hasn't moved back yet. So anytime you have a little domestic turmoil, it's going to affect your job in, in some way. And it's possible that that's weighing on him. So last week, I asked the question uh, on Twitter uh, as to, like, how do you feel about this? Because there's an issue here. It's a legitimate issue. If you're uh, in a marriage and, and you have dedicated your life to playing this game of football and uh, she has put her career on the back burner, which she claims she has, and, and she's been more uh, of the domestic uh, mom with, with the children while he's out playing football, she finally uh, gets a respite where he's now going to be home. He's going to share the wealth. She can do some things that he wants to do. He can pay more attention to the family. It's a legitimate concern. But as a sports fan, you look at it and say, this guy is the best of all time. So um, where's the balance here? It, it, should she realize he's the best of all time? And if he's the best of all time in a sport, should she let him continue to play that sport? Or... Has he had enough glory? Has he made enough money? And now is it time to step away? I really don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to bring in a voice from the wilderness. I'm going to bring in a, a female voice. So let's take time out and we're going, to, we're going to find a voice in the wilderness. And I'm going to read some tweets about this whole issue. This is Tom on Twitter. And Tom says, I actually think he's wrong. If he made a commitment to her that he would quit, He should stand by his word. Giselle certainly doesn't need him to support her. He just can't give up the glory. 
So he went back on a family commitment. Well, he, he did go back on a family commitment. But again, there's the, the counterbalance to that is, uh, as the best ever, uh, is he entitled to go back on a family commitment? Let's see if I can and find another one here. Um, okay, here's another from CJ. Now, CJ says, my question is with his kids. Tom himself has said he missed out on so much. His boys play football, and he rarely, if ever, gets to see them play. That, well, I, I, you know, listen, he's the best quarterback of all time. I don't know if, if it's that necessary right now that, for him to see his boys play football. But anyway, that has to be a huge problem as well as with the wifey. He should have retired and played dad, not quarterback. So now these are two. I think these are two guys that are saying that, you know, no question about it, that the, that Giselle ha- has a beef here about this whole thing. Um, so uh, here, here's the way I look at it. Um, I think that he should be entitled to play to the end. He has uh, a, it's forged a career where he's the best of all time. When you're the best of all time, you have a special status, Right. And uh, if you want to keep playing as the best of all time, I think Giselle's got to put it in her pocket. And I, I understand that he may have reneged on a commitment. I understand that maybe she's done more for the family and he hasn't been as responsible as he should have. But he's got a lot of years to live in his life. He's 45 years old. This is most likely going to be his last year. He wasn't ready to give it up. So if she can put up with one more year. Now, if he does it next year, she can fly to coop. My thing is that she's gone up to Fashion Week, and you just know there are a lot of people in that industry uh, that that would love to, to you know get get in there and say uh, you know what Giselle he's not treating you right but I can treat you right you know that's going to happen uh, so we'll see uh, how this all, all ends up but I don't think there is any question that uh, he was he's unnerved right now and I think that the, the, the helmet toss and, and the iPad toss was a reflection of that. I have found a voice in the wilderness, a female voice in the wilderness. Let's call her Janie. All right, Janie, I have to ask you this question just for the people out there. You know the uh, Giselle Tom Brady situation. He reneged on a commitment that he was going to leave football and spend more time with the family and be kind of a house dad at this point. And then he changed his mind and he went back to play football. Well, Giselle's not happy and she has now left the home. A little separation they got going, a little domestic turmoil. And I think it affected him last week because he was throwing crap all around the sidelines. So as a, a female voice in the wilderness, do you think Tom Brady is at fault? Does Giselle have a point? What is your opinion? I feel like a little bit of a traitor right out of my gender, but I do think that I'm on Team Tom here. I think that ultimately he would have not been happy at home and the relationship would have been doomed anyway. And I think she's being a little bit unreasonable about it. So the female voice says she's being unreasonable. The male voice said... Uh, no, 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 I'm on Giselle's side. This is a very interesting viewpoint. So let me counter. All right, let me counter with this point here. Um, he wouldn't have been happy at home. Could he not have learned to be happy? Has he not had enough football? Could he have given home a try? I guess he could have given it a try, or maybe they could have reevaluated the commitment and maybe given him one more year to play football, and then he would have left. I don't know. 
So, so you're saying that she should have agreed. It's okay. You can do one more. Well, you know what that does. One year leads into another year. And so you got to keep reneging. You know, you know, what kind of promise is it? I just think that their relationship probably wasn't going to work out anyway. Huh? So are you predicting a split spill here for Tom and Giselle? All right, there it is, ladies and gentlemen, the voice from the wilderness, female voice in the wilderness, not only showing Tom Brady's side, she's predicting not domestic tranquility, the opposite of that, and she's predicting that you will read in the gossip column soon that they have split up for good. It is now time, and I know a lot of people are out there, is he going to go political uh, or not? Yes, it is time for the dreaded political commentary of the week. And my dreaded political commentary of the week uh, is the, the... issue that's been in the news prominently, and it is the uh, the immigrant situation where uh, Governor Abbott of Texas and Governor DeSantis of Florida uh, conjured up a plan to get back at the libs, which is very important to them. And uh, so they bust, they get a busload of, of immigrants and they somehow figure out uh, where it would really be funny if we transport them to Martha's Vineyard, where there's a lot of rich people up there, and probably a lot of rich liberal people. How would they like it if we dropped immigrants on their lap? Because we have to deal with this problem in Florida and in Texas. And the Democratic administration is not doing enough. I, and I get that. I, I get the, that immigration reform is, is lacking and, and something needs to be done. But you don't play games with human lives. I mean, this is not like uh, you have a beef with your neighbor and you put a flame in ba- a bag of poop uh, on his, on his step, and then you knock on the door, and he comes down, and he steps in it. This is these are people. You, you can't play pawns. You can't make people pawns. They're they're already disrespected enough. That they're they're already uh, uh, people that that are just looking for a better life, and and you kind of trick them like this and send them in that. Now, I'll give the people Martha's Vineyard credit because I know that the, the narrative is that oh my god, they were shocked out there. They couldn't wait to get him off the island. Well, the fact that it mattered is it was a great humanitarian effort in Martha's Vineyard. They tried to get the people shelter and they tried to get them food. And they, they you know, they, they, they really showed, showed them some care. Obviously, there's not going to be enough housing in Martha's Vineyard to accommodate uh, immigrants who are just thrown on your lap. So, you know, my, my thing is, let's not play pawns with people's lives. Let's not disrespect them even more than they're already disrespected. So that would be my political commentary of the week. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to close this uh, podcast with my random fact of the week. Uh, I could not believe this, but but you can check it out for yourself. And it has to do with Ben Simmons. Um, the stat that I was able to uncover about Ben Simmons is mind-boggling. And you, you can do this math uh, yourself. Because uh, <laughs> you know Ben Simmons likes to play video games. So uh, I found this stat. If I could dig it up here for a second, just bear with me for, for a second. Uh, it's the minutes that Ben Simmons has actually played a video game, his special video game, as opposed to the minutes that he has played as an NBA player. Okay, here it is. Get ready for this. Ben Simmons has more minutes on the COD Warzone game than he has played in the NBA. Now think about that for a second. On COD Warzone, he has spent 9,784 minutes. In the NBA, 
he has played 9,326 minutes. I don't know. What does that mean to you? To me, it means he likes playing video games more than he likes playing basketball. But I think we've known that for a long time. Uh, I hate to disappoint you, uh, New Jersey, your Brooklyn Nets fans out there, but um, you're all excited. Uh, Durant's back. Uh, you're adding Ben Simmons. Kyrie Irving uh, is is back, and uh, he he hasn't really determined whether he's going to actually play home games with the vaccination yet. And uh, you're thinking that Ben Simmons is the missing piece. We lived here in Philadelphia for several years with Ben Simmons. He's not the missing piece. Something bad's going to happen. He doesn't have as much interest in playing basketball as he does in the lifestyle of playing basketball. Uh, so I don't think anything magic is going to happen, that this is going to be the year where Ben Simmons wakes up. That's my final uh, random thought of the week. And uh, this has been the Mike Missinelli podcast, and we're going to come back at you a little later in the week. For now, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, we're going to talk to you later this week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.